0: beautiful Ashland, Oregon. I am the Pleiadian Emissary of light. Caroline Ra. Thank you all for joining with us today. Welcome to Spirit of the Dawn. It was 10 years ago that I picked up the two-volume set of Michael Rhodes' much-loved books, Talking with Nature and Journey into Nature. On these pages, Michael shared his metaphysical experiences with nature and the expansion of his consciousness. Reading his words came at a time when my own consciousness was expanding rapidly. I was beginning my own dialogue with plants and connecting with the healing wisdom of nature. When I started my radio show years later, I knew I had to connect with Michael and his beautiful wife, Carolyn. I contacted him and he recognized me as a kindred spirit and warmly agreed to be interviewed. Since then, I have had the pleasure of several interviews, with Michael and with Carolyn. It's been over 30 years since Michael wrote his now famous Talking with Nature. He is an internationally known speaker and teacher as he and Carolyn travel all over the world holding their five-day intensives. Michael has authored over 20 books about the nature of reality and his metaphysical journeys. Today, we'll be discussing his latest release, Entering the Secret World of Nature. I am delighted to welcome back to Spirit of the Dawn, Michael Rhodes. Michael, thank you so dearly for joining with us today.
1: Thank you very much for the invitation.
0: Oh, I am excited. This is very fun. I have some big questions for you because so many people um, would love to connect with nature. And I think the people who are listening would love to uh deepen their connection with nature on a level maybe that they haven't experienced yet. Um, first, I'd like to know, what is nature?
1: That's an interesting question. What is nature? I think nature could be many things for many people. But I like the definition that nature is the power which creates and maintains the world. That... Uh, Nature is, nature is life, as far as we're concerned. We are nature. Nature is us. Generally speaking, people separate nature from humanity. And they say there's humanity and there's nature. And so we try to control and dominate nature. But it's all one energy. And that, to me, is one of the most fascinating points, is that uh, everything is energy. So all humanity is energy, one energy. All nature is energy, the same energy. The whole Earth itself is energy, the same energy. And then you can go out into the galaxy and into the universe, it's all the same energy. That's what you would call nature. So it doesn't end on Earth and it's not just for us.
0: Right, that's beautiful. Um, One of the things that you talk a lot in the beginning of the book is knowing versus understanding and left brain versus right brain. And I know that it seems an important thing because some people may not really understand or understand, you don't like the word understand, might not uh, know the difference between uh, knowing and understanding. Can we talk about that? Yeah,
1: that's uh, that's a very pertinent point. I mean, most people see nature as outside of themselves, and they can understand that. Um, it's not so easy to understand that um, there's no, life is not an outside of self-event. Life is an inside of self-event. And then, of course, people think "Well, inside the body, because that's who I am. But that's not who we are. And so the inside of self-event means that self is an immortal soul, it has really no boundaries and that you are the universe. And then you begin to say, okay, I'm not sure I understand that. And then that takes you to the next step. Let's just say what you want to understand is a universe and you consider yourself as one speck within it. So how, do you, how does a speck understand the universe? Well, this is what science tries to do, which is a rather arrogant thing to do. But if you put the speck in the universe or the universe in the speck, there's no longer a need to understand. And so understanding invariably takes the vast to reduce it to the tiny to understand. Um, So today science, and I have a lot of respect for science, let's be clear, but science looks at more and more of less and less to understand. And that doesn't work. And so when you're in the moment, I find that we all have the ability to directly know. And so it's a a cognitive ability, Um, cognition. I call it direct knowing. Um, It's generally, in esoteric terms, it's called mystical cognition. But we all have it. And if you read the great sages or the great poets through the ages, they all had it. For instance, William Blake was a sculptor among many other things. But when he was once sculpting the bust of an ancient Roman figure, the, he was working on the head and he was working on the nose. And um, somebody, he suddenly stopped. And his friend said, well, why have you stopped? He said, well, I can't see it anymore. So I can't shape it. And his friend said, I don't understand. Of course, he needed to understand. And Blake just smiled at him, he said, well, all you do is work imagination to the point of vision and the thing is done. And so people today want to understand everything and yet we have this incredible faculty of imagination but we're brought up to believe that imagination is not real. What we imagine isn't real. And that's no truth in that at all so we can imagine fantasy yes but we can also imagine truth but we don't know the difference now because when you're when you're isolated in a when you're in an illusion you can't tell truth from reality and so the simple fact is i often tell a story at the intensives about the power of imagination and i won't go into that but if you google imagination you will find that there are hundreds of people who have died imagining the situation was critical, and it wasn't. And the simplest one to explain is in Africa, you get a snake that looks very much like a certain viper. So the snake's defense is to look like it, and imitates it, but it's completely non-toxic, it's non-venomous. It's a harmless snake, and yet, that snake has bitten people and they've died from the venom that didn't exist because they imagined and believed it was the poisonous one. And so they died anyway with no venom in them. That's the power of imagination.
0: Wow. I knew we were going to get to snakes somehow. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Michael, subconscious versus conscious. and. Um, That seems very, very important really, in understanding, in in knowing. Uh,
1: (laughs) That is very, you're very astute in these questions. So humanity lives, um, about 94% of humanity lives subconsciously. These are the figures that are put forward. And uh, they're generally, they're pretty well accepted, about 94, doesn't matter if it's 90% or 80. So the vast majority of people live subconsciously, which means they're not conscious of the moment. So they're following a program. The uh, Matrix movies did it rather well. They over-dramatized it, but the first and last show, sort of showed you people in the um, Matrix, and then, when a few of them got out of it, except they seemed to be very violent people. Um, so... Today, people live in this subconscious program. So the subconscious means that you're living, I mean subconscious means less than fully conscious, less than fully, you're not all there. If somebody described you as subnormal, you wouldn't be very happy with it. But um, the problem is normal is sub today. It's less than fully conscious. That is normality. And so when we live this subconscious program, we're never conscious of being in the moment consciously. We're never consciously conscious of the moment, which is an interesting thing to try. So nature lives fully in the moment because it can't think its way out. You know, we think nature doesn't. A lot of people today are telling us now that we can learn to listen to the thoughts of animals. I find this very disturbing because animals are conscious intelligence, but they don't think. They don't think in the way that humans do. So we assume that they put words together and have thoughts like us. And and they completely forget they don't have a language of words that they put together. Are they going to think like French in French? Are they going to think like English in English? I mean, or some other Russian thoughts or is it do they think Russian because they were born in Russia? You know people don't think this one through so animals have a inner movement of consciousness but they're fully conscious in the moment. I once went into an eagle and the eagle as I looked through the eyes of the eagle I was realized that the eagle looked through the eyes of immediacy this absolute moment. There was nothing blocking it. We look through the eyes of yesterday. We look through the eyes of the intellect. We look through the eyes of our education. We look through the eyes of our beliefs, our religions, our upbringing. We look through the eyes of so many layers that, that filter us out of the moment. And yet nobody realizes it. We don't see from the moment. And so when you're conscious, And uh, some people have said, well, are you as conscious as Jesus? Which is a nice point to say that the magnitude of Jesus was because Jesus is more conscious than most other people on the planet at that time. The Buddha became more conscious. So the more conscious you are, the, um, the more you're in touch with truth, reality, and love, which are all the same thing. And so being conscious, you're conscious in the moment. Being subconscious, you're living yesterday's dream. And so the planet today is clearly shaping up for major change. And that change is simply because nature can throw at us floods and we still want more of the same. It can flow at us vast, um, huge fires like wildfires, And still people go back to their old lives, those that survive it. And so nature said, okay, the only way we can wake up this humanity is give them a kick up in the pants so powerful that they can't go back to more of the same. And that's where we're heading because otherwise we're on the path of insanity with a new um, case of dementia about every four and a half seconds. And we're right on the edge right on the edge of a pandemic of dementia and uh people you know we don't most people don't realize that and so there's reasons for all this but then we're going into subjects after subjects after subjects
0: <laughs> well there's so much more to discuss um in the book i was really fascinated by the universal energies in in of chaos and order and they seem very important especially when you're talking about change on our planet
1: Chaos and order is something that people don't see. So as you've read the book, you realize I capitalized chaos and I capitalise order. So chaos is the engine that drives. It's in every cell of every organism, of every stone, of every tree, of every human, of everything. It's in the earth itself, in the planet. And so chaos is the engine that drives. And without it, nothing happens but to balance it you have order which is the stability of structure so a wildfire is chaos with practically no order uh, a rock uh, ironstone rock is order with practically no chaos so chaos and order are two energies that will appear to po- oppose each other but they don't and so if you get a tail a damp towel or wet towel, you twist it in opposing end, ends, one end one direction and one the other. One end is chaos and one end is order. And as you twist the towel, it, you create torsion in the towel from one end to the other. There is a point where the balance is perfect, absolutely perfect. And that point of balance I see is like a flickering white light. And that is the place of the greatest potential. Now, when I talk of chaos, I see it in about a about thousand shades of red. And so every shade has an emotional content. No, every shade has an energy that attached, that connects with my emotional body. And so chaos can be from the most gentle of, any, of emotions to the most raging and violent of emotions. Um, order which is black for me which is again thousands of them probably I've never counted but there's many hundreds the different shades have different meanings but they all touch my emotional body and to me this is a language of the future that people will move into because the subtleties of those energies are so far beyond anything that my intellect can understand you know, if you ask me to name a number of emotions, it wouldn't last very long. You know, I just don't have a language to to name many emotions. And yet, in this, I feel emotions that have no label, that have never been identified. And it, I found it very confusing at first. And as you probably read, I found it in the field of wheat, but it's in everything. It's absolutely in everything. It's in you. So when you're when the torsion between chaos and order is in perfect balance, you are completely healthy. And not only that, if you hold that balance, you could not get disease. So disease is when we move into chaos or order. Either one of them can hold it. But that's, but that's you know, it pertains to all living organisms on the planet. Science will probably say, okay, lock him up, he's mad. But one day, when they have a greater humility, they'll find the truth of this.
0: And this leads to the importance of balance and inner balance. Um, well, yeah, that's a hard one, really, for everyone.
1: <laughs> well, if I was to give God a name, and this is not my original, I wish it was, but if I was to give God a name, I would name God as the endless song of infinite balance, because everything in nature, everything in nature, including humanity, is always attempting to move toward balance. Now, nature does it easily because it lives in the moment. It's fully conscious. And so when we see imbalance in nature, mostly that's our interpretation of imbalance. It's actual fact, it's perfect. But us, we're raging thoughts and raging emotions. And they're taking us out of balance the whole time. If you're fully conscious, it's not difficult to be still and silent. And everybody intrinsically knows that inner silence, inner stillness, is peace. And where there is peace, there is no sickness. When we get people going on peace marches, they're not peace marches. They are anti-war marches. They're not really about peace at all, because nobody in the marches has ever experienced peace. Because peace is something incredibly profound. It's when your own thoughts are never antagonistic or aggressive or angry in any way whatsoever. They just contemplate life and accept it. There's no anger, no aggression, no that should happen, that's wrong, this is good, that's bad, all that comes to an end with peace. Because why? One of the things I teach in every moment of your life, you are creating the content and direction of every moment of your life. And if you think about that, it takes your breath away.
0: I think about it a lot, actually. (laughs) Um, It's it's very interesting and it helps guide me during the day when I realize what I'm creating.
1: You're Uh, You're the absolute creator of your
0: life. Very much so. A lot of people's lives, they don't enjoy it. Very much so. Um, One of the most interesting things in the book is you talk about the true role of humanity as light bringers of earth. I thought that was extremely beautiful. Can you share uh, your thoughts on that?
1: Well, everything in life is about the evolution of consciousness. That's what it's about. That is the purpose of life. And I don't mean just on this earth. I mean, <coughs> if you accept what the Pleiadians say, they say there are 49 billion universes. Take that one in. 49 billion universes. I accept this. To me, it feels right. Because I know that humanity, we think small. We think We think tiny. And so on all everywhere that is, everything is life. See, when we look out into space, we we see space and distance. But that's a three-dimensional view of a different bandwidth. And as I wrote in that book about bandwidths, so when we're living on a bandwidth where we experience less than 1% of all that is visible, that we can't see it and less than 1% of all its audio, you begin to see that the way we look at the universe is not the way the universe is, it's the way we are. And when you go into your metaphysical body, you have a very, very different view, and everybody has this metaphysical body. Okay, so the purpose of all this life, the vastness of life, is the evolution of consciousness. You've got to realize we are not human souls. We are just souls having a human experience in the vasty journey of eternity as we grow in consciousness, as everything grows in consciousness. So life is about the evolution of consciousness. And nature is a natural evolution of consciousness. It follows its blueprint perfectly. It doesn't deviate from it. But we are the creative evolution of consciousness on this planet. The creative evolution of consciousness. So we're creating our blueprint in every moment. There is no blueprint, and yet there is a blueprint because we're creating it. And we're creating our past in the same moment we're creating our future. Because all my life occupies the same moment, all time occupies the same moment. Linear time is just. Something that we created, that we believe in, it's not particularly real. And once you get out of our human framework, known animals use linear time. Certainly, there is an awareness of seasonal um, seasons coming and going, but it's not related to as time passing. So, to me, this is what our this is our birthright to, to express life in such a perfection, that we become a part of the song of the universe.
0: Fantastic. When we talk about connecting with nature, uh, you talk about consciously connecting. And is that also consciously connecting with ourselves and with nature?
1: In fact, you can't consciously connect with nature if you're not consciously connecting with yourself because there's no separation. You see, in that sentence, with ourselves and with nature, you just said. And so this is what we do. We just subconsciously um, separate one from the other. So if you were standing at the top of a building, a hundred floor stories high, and you wish, and you're being conscious, and you decide to consciously connect with nature, actually, the very fact you're conscious means you're connected. But you could connect with nature, um, with the earth, sorry, with the earth. You're connecting with the earth. And all that plastic and all that concrete, nothing can stop it because you're energy. And you don't have to walk on the earth barefooted, even though that's nice to connect with the earth. And the problem is, Caroline, the problem is that nature and the earth do not recognize something that is subconscious because it's not there, it's not available. It's in a place that doesn't exist. That's the illusion, the past or the future. If you're you're in the moment, your thoughts are in the moment. In fact, you're not really thinking very much. If you're in the moment, your consciousness is in the moment. When you're thinking, all thoughts are going to take you away from the moment. So you can think your way out of the moment, but you cannot think your way into the moment. And that's pretty incredible when you think about it.
0: <laughs> I, I've definitely tried to think my way into the moment and it does not work.
1: You can't do that. This is what meditation <laughs> this is what meditation's about. Meditation is about coming into the moment in silence and peace. It's. it's that's where all of power is. This is where the power of humanity is in the moment. And we look to world leaders to... to Uh, move us along, but um, they're just, they're just a representative of the consciousness of their country. And if you don't like Trump, think about that.
0: Uh,
1: I won't go there.
0: (laughs) I'm just gonna laugh. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, Michael, you talk about goal setting versus intent, which really can be applied to anything that we are attempting to do in our lives. And it's fascinating to think about, we usually don't reach our goals when we set a deadline for something. It just doesn't happen, you know, lose 10 pounds, it rarely happens. But yes. when we ha- have an intent, it seems to happen.
1: Yeah, but you see, goal setting is a lovely way of frustration and judging yourself and criticizing yourself and blaming yourself and, and um, saying I didn't make it. You know, I want to be this by such and such an age. What a lovely way to set up a dialogue to annihilate you, to set up sickness and illness and to negate yourself. What a brilliant technique. I mean, could you think of anything better? (laughs) And So, yes, you see goal setting. Let's say you set a goal 10 years ahead of you. Well, if you reach it and everything's home, you haven't grown. You're still the person 10 years back who set a 10-year-old goal up. You haven't grown for that 10 years, you've reached your goal, but that means you haven't grown, which is totally ridiculous. And if you do grow, then when you reach your goal, you'll look back at it and think, God, what's the point of that? You know, that doesn't fit me today. But when you set intent, you're not trying to set something in a linear progression. When you set intent, you know you just focus on something and something that has meaning and value on a spiritual level. Because if it's material, you're in the, you're in the illusion anyway. You know, we need money, yes. We need um, shelter over our heads. But we only need enough. There's plenty on the planet for everybody's need. But as it's been written and said so many times, But there isn't enough for everybody's greed. And this is what we struggle with, the greed. The multi-rich, they never seem to say, I have enough. They always want more. And, uh, and they don't, you know, a lot of them are, you know, give away vast amounts of money, and that's wonderful. But they're still living in a system that's set up to give them more money than they're giving away. It still keeps pouring in. And so when you set an intent, you're much more in a spiritual world. You're more in the world of consciousness than the subconscious focus of something you think you want. You see, want is based in fear. Want is the language of fear. Want, want, want. It's all the language of fear. The language of love is very different. The language of love is appreciation appreciation of what is appreciation of what you have appreciation of who you are and so you set an intent i will be more of who i am i will allow who i am to grow and so you set an intent and you can set other intents but when you set an intent based in consciousness in truth then intent is a beautiful way of going in the journey
0: Michael, you talked about fear, and I think fear is really important. You have in your book that fear is an illusion. And, um, wow, I think that's a huge subject. Can we talk about it?
1: It is a huge subject. Have you got six hours? sure. (laughs) Fear, as somebody in America once said or wrote, fear is false evidence appearing real. That was a beautiful definition false evidence appearing real. It's always false. There is never any truth in fear. So where does fear come from? I can answer that on several levels, some of them are too long. But let's say, in the moment, there is no such thing as fear. In the moment, there is love, there is truth, there is joy, there is peace, there is freedom things that people want but never seem to find. They're all in the moment, but there is no fear because fear belongs in the world of the subconscious. So when we look at animals and I say they're conscious and we see their fear, it isn't fear. Animals can get very stressed, but they do not experience human fear. I've been in hundreds and hundreds of animals metaphysically And I have never once as an animal experienced fear. I've been aware of human fear in an animal and it's like an abomination in nature. Nature wants to strike and and rip it and rend it and and, and get rid of it because it doesn't exist in nature. So in nature, um, why do we have fear? We have fear because we imagine it. We have a negative imagination, and our imagination creates our life. Every deficit certificate should have on it um, death by misuse of imagination. That's what it should be. Then we begin to learn. So somebody gets cancer, they immediately imagine the worst. Not everybody, but most people imagine the worst. Those who do will generally go that path, the worst. Those who imagine, okay, I can heal this. I need to love myself more. They will move away from it because we're the creator of everything, every sickness. I once asked a vet, how many diseases in rabbits? And mostly vets would say, okay, maybe about 20 at the most. We have 40,000, over 40,000, and we create them all. So where do they come from? They come from different stages of fear, different levels of fear, different levels of negativity, different levels of negative thinking. If you're walking down the street, it's two o'clock in the morning, it's pitch dark, and it's got a bad, air, um, it's got a bad reputation, this area. People get mugged in this area. It's two o'clock in the morning, and you hear footsteps behind you. What does your imagination think? Oh gosh, yes, my Uncle Charlie's coming along. me. <laughs> He's going to come and say hi. Or does it immediately think the worst? A mugger, bad, rough, fear. And so we've been creating this for so long, Carolyn. So long we've been creating fear. It accompanies us on our journey of life. And it isn't real, but we keep reinstating it. Today, people call it my fear. Don't own what you don't want any more than you want my cancer. Don't own it. Don't give it an idea. Don't let it identify with you. Today, I do not experience fear. I'm not going to say that's impossible, but I haven't had a relationship with fear for quite a long time because I choose love. And I'm not afraid to die. Everybody does it. And when, I'm, when it's time to lose this body, I'll lose it, and not one second before. And I know that I'm an immortal soul, and I see many probability futures, and any one of them, yes, I'll take it please. And so why would I have to fear death? I don't fear dying, I don't fear. So I don't create it. I don't create subconsciously, go back into an old program of fear because that's what we do. It has had its place in our life, but that was a long, long, long time ago. And when its time was finished, we could have let it go, but we didn't. We kept the negative stream of of thoughts and emotions. Many psychologists today consider that uh, most people are lost in thoughts, subconscious thoughts, as I said, about 94% of people about 90% of the time. And it's considered over 80% of those thoughts are negative. Just a constant stream of negative thinking. And when you think that people today are thinking the same thoughts they thought in about 10,000 lifetimes ago, incarnations ago, it's the same mental and emotional negative content of course their thoughts have different subjects and different problems and different words and different languages and different meanings but the deep mental and emotional stress of those thoughts is just the same
0: i totally agree with you and have experienced that having gone to look at other lifetimes coexisting lifetimes that i um have been in and are in at the same time and oh wow it's me all over again (laughs) (laughs) there i am
1: (laughs) and it doesn't have to be that way this is why i do my give my intentions around the world i watch people come out of that place
0: now you you mentioned in the book the pitfalls about people's relationship with nature and i know that we are all nature um the pitfalls seem also like they'd be so much the pitfalls that people have with their careers their relationships their health um uh attachment expectations lack of patience me. lack of patience completely need to understand doubt focus um and we bring that to so much that we do um but we don't need to do we
1: it's one of the most challenging things in an intensive when i tell people you know there may be 80 or 100 people there and i say look at your look at your partner or look at somebody in this room you know and or think about somebody you love are you attached and everybody sort of looks a bit unhappy because they're attached and so the the terrible thing is you know, I, I'm not sure I should say this in public, but the, the terrible thing is, if you're attached, you don't love, because love is not an attachment. Love cannot attach, and nor can it be attached to. So we've got this emotion we call love, which is 99 times out of 100, it's attachment. I was married to my first wife for about 48 or nine years. And I would have said I have one of the greatest loves on the planet. I loved her so deeply and dearly. And when she had died suddenly from an aneurysm in America, and I've suddenly, and I've written about this in one of my books, when the, um, Through the Eyes of Pan book one. When I was um, looking at this, I realized, and I had to face it, that all my great love was a huge attachment. And that love is not an attachment. So yes, you can have a beautiful relationship within attachment, a beautiful relationship, no question, but that is not love. And so the first place that love begins is you loving yourself. And if we have any attachment there, it's that we're not good enough. We have, a, we have um, so attachment is probably the reason this planet is going through change and the reason humanity is going to be really hard hit by it, is to break our attachments, our terrible, light, um, everlasting attachments. We have been attached for so long. This last cycle, every cycle is about 200,000 years. And throughout this 200,000 years, for most people, their attachments have been growing stronger and stronger, and they call it love. And so what we once again have to learn is what love truly is. Love is the power of creation. and When you're loving yourself, you are actually creating yourself in the image, if you like, of God. And God is creating itself in the image of you because it's all one.
0: That's beautiful and I really...
1: You can see this isn't the way that most people's thoughts move.
0: I learned so much from listening to you through the years and reading your books. It's really changed my concept of what it means to be here in so many ways and deeply my relationship with myself, with those close to me, and with everyone to just unconditionally love myself, all others, and not to. Uh, I can't even be any other way once I got to that place.
1: It's absolutely right. When you are unconditionally loving yourself, you love humanity. It doesn't mean you um, enjoy all that humanity does. It doesn't mean you condone the terrible behavior of so many people. But it means you see through their illusion and through their pain and through their fear and anger, and you see that there is a beautiful soul lost and hurting and hitting out. So you have this love of humanity, and it's quite a shock to realize that you cannot pick out a person and say, I love you more than you. Even wife or husband, you love them, yes, in a different way. You interact with them in a different different way. But when it comes down to the essence of love, you cannot love another person until you're loving yourself. And your relationship with yourself is your relationship with all life. It's your relationship with health. It's your relationship with abundance. It's your relationship with everything. And the terrible thing is, the simple, horrible reality is, most people, don't matter what they say, most people do not like themselves.
0: Yeah, it's really true. And I imagine that's a big part of why people come to your intensives really is to go through that, that transformation.
1: I don't experience anxiety, I don't experience worry. I never criticize myself and I don't criticize others. I don't experience aggression or anger or fear or stress and I seldom get tired. None of those things happen to me now simply because I'm conscious of who I am and I love who I am and I love life. In the moment, I love it. You you don't get sick and ill in that. Okay, you can drop a brick on your foot if you lose attention, and you might get a passing stage of nausea or something like that, but it doesn't last.
0: It's really true. Um, I really encourage everyone to read your book, uh, entering the secret world of nature. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into it, but uh, you do talk about nature spirits and elementals which is such a fun subject um can we touch on that at all it's just such a delightful subject um, it's,
1: it's it's again you see it comes back if i'm going to be unfair it comes back to bandwidth. we live on one bandwidth where we see less than one percent is on another bandwidth are these are the spirits of nature is the whole kingdom of nature that we don't see and have a relationship with. Some people are are able to see it, but can't enter it. I don't see it, but I can enter it. And when you enter it, some of the nature spirits I've seen defy description. Um, When you realize that a leaf might contain numberless, I mean, a vast amount of tiny nature spirits, that have no physical reality, but are moving in and out between the two bandwidths, between dimensions, and they're basically stitching the sun energy into the leaf. Now science has another way of explaining it, and uh, they do it their way. But when you, if you took away the nature spirit and the elementals from, our, from nature, then it would be nothing left but dust. Nothing, the sun and the water alone can't do it. And so all these bandwidths that I've talked about in the book, these thousands of bandwidths all intermingle. And even though we've isolated ourselves of one, we've done that to us, because everybody believes that they are a body. Whereas I don't believe that anymore. My body is a beautiful vehicle, and I leave the body and metaphysically explore These are the bandwidths, and and you see see nature in a way that is totally beautiful on on a level that physicality can't even represent.
0: Well, thank you so much, Michael. We have had a fascinating time today talking with spiritual teacher and author Michael Rhodes about his recently published Entering the Secret World of Nature. I invite you to visit Michael's websites int.michaelroads.roads.org or in the United States, michaelroadsusa.com to learn more about his international five-day intensives and his many books. Michael, I am hoping that you can share some closing words of wisdom with us today in addition to all the wisdom that you have already shared.
1: Where you focus, your energy flows. So choose your focus carefully. When you're criticizing, you're connecting with criticism. When you're angry, you're connecting with anger. And I mean the world's anger, the world's criticism. When you choose love, you connect with the world's love. That is the choice I would make. Every moment of your life, be conscious enough to choose love and your path will change into a direction that will set you free.
0: Wow, Michael, thank you so much for being here on Spirit of the Dawn today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoy it. You're a delightful lady to chat with.
0: (laughs) We had a fun time. It was great. Indeed. Deep gratitude to Brian Zach, and Synergy for the use of their song, Embrace the Change. I thank all of you for joining with us today and invite you to visit Spirit of the Dawn, Dot com for more inspirational interviews sending love from my home to yours i am Canadian emissary of life caroline raw